the Word of God is life given to us. And the reason we are uh, going to look at this uh, study is because we've been looking at the seven deadly sins. Well, today I renamed it the seven daily sins because really that's what we have to do. We have to contend with these sins daily, don't we? We remember that uh, the power of sin resides in our flesh. And as long as you're in this body, you've got to contend with sin. We've looked at the seven deadly sins, and what we found is that, I uh, think, oh, there we go. Uh, what we found is that they're lust, gluttony, and greed. Those are sins of excess. Uh, malicious sins are anger and envy. And then the last two sins we're going to deal with today are really major issues, sloth and pride. And now God has given us by His Holy Spirit virtues to counter these sins of the flesh. And thank God for that, right? And it is an immediate help for us. We don't have to wait to hear from God or wait for, for uh, a sacrifice to be given or a special day of atonement. We've got the immediacy of the Holy Spirit within us to give us vigilance, diligence against sloth and humility to counteract pride. And that's what I want to share with you today. We're going to start with the issue of sloth. That's an old English word. It means laziness, apathy, just not caring about the right things. You see, what sloth is, is a lack of interest in necessary action. I'm not just talking about being slow to do or slow to act. But I'm talking about being slow to act on things that are essential. That's sloth. And what's most essential for us as believers is the kingdom of God. That's what's essential. The lost world, they, they, what does it matter if they're slow to act or react? What does it matter if they have pride, this and that? They live in the flesh, so all those attributes are going to be there. But for the believer, we're to overcome them. We're overcomers. And so we overcome sloth. And what are we slothful with? We're slothful with the necessary things of God. It's not about how busy you are, but how much you fulfill your obligations to the Lord and to your neighbor. All right? The workaholic, you might say, well, he's not slothful. He's a workaholic. But if he's not doing what he should be for the Lord, that's sloth. So it's not about being lazy or being a workaholic. It's about, are we about the Father's business? Are we doing what God wants us to do? That's where this issue comes into play. And we must be diligent to do what the Lord wants us to do. I want to share with you uh, a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who said this, a great uh, Russian author, um, came out of the gulag and, and uh, imprisonment from a communist country speaking against God. He found the Lord and is speaking to the United States and he says this, in the United States, the difficulties you face are not minotaurs or dragons, not imprisonment, hard labor, death, government harassment, and censorship, but cupidity, boredom, sloppiness, and indifference. Not the acts of a mighty, all-pervading, repressive government, but the failure of a listless public to make use of the freedom that is its birthright. That's sloth. American Christianity is not 
standing up. It's not delivering the kingdom to its citizens, to the people of this nation. We've become lazy in promoting the gospel among this nation. Now he says, our problem is not censorship and government. But can I tell you, because of our slothfulness, it's only going to be a matter of months before our government and censorship is going to come down on the church. And so we've got to watch. We've got to be diligent to serve the kingdom. Let me give you some examples I found. I thought they were pretty accurate on a slothful spirit. Here's a good representation. Um, That's a doorstop that someone bought. Why take it out of the package? It works. Right? I mean, come on, that's lazy. How about this? This, this one, I think, is an accurate portrayal of where the church is at. Instead of moving the obstacles on what is right in line, we just go around it. It's easier. Let's not get into any conflict. And that's a sad commentary, isn't it? This guy didn't want to stop his truck, but just moved around. That's lazy. How about this one? I mean, come on, you're sitting there. You put the toilet paper on the thing. It gets worse. Why? Why have one? Put the whole bag there. Eventually you'll use it, right? I mean, that's lazy. That's lazy. This is how we go for walks with our kids. Yeah. Take them for a walk. And then, of course, you've got the riding mower. Laziness, sloth, apathy creates inventions so that we don't have to do any hard work, right? And then, of course, walking your dog. Uh, I like what uh, Leonardo da Vinci said, and uh, he said this, God sells us all things at the price of labor. In other words, what Leonardo is saying is that God wants us to labor. Do you know that was the task of Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, before the curse? God said, I put you in this garden to care for and tend the garden, to work, to labor. God loves work. He loves labor. And he's asking us to labor with him in the act of redemption. Come on, that's crazy. But the God of this world, the God of this universe is asking us and giving us the privilege of saving souls. He's the one who does it, but he's saying, I want to use you as the mouthpiece. I want to use your feet, your hands, your voice to go and win the lost. Let's not be slothful with that. And so he gives us all things at the price of labor. Paul put it better this way. He said, whatsoever you sow, you will reap. And so the process of sowing in reaping, you see it in nature all the time, is the process of life. It's the law of reciprocity. So if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap to the flesh. We can't be slothful. We can't be lazy about sowing into the kingdom of God. No one else is going to do it. No one else can. God has put you on this earth. He's preserved your life to sow into the kingdom so that we can reap a reward or a harvest of souls 
being saved. And so we have to fight against sloth. Someone put it this way, sloth's an old English word, and I understand that. So maybe a more up-to-date word is tolerance. Says this, author Dorothy Sayers says about tolerance, the world calls it tolerance. It's sloth as sin, which believes in nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, seeks to know nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing it will die for. That's tolerance. Yeah, whatever. That's the avoidance of conflict. That's the avoidance to speak truth. Uh, uh, tolerance. Some things we're to be intolerant of because they're just stupid. That was a book written by uh, um, uh, Focus on the Families, uh, Dobson's son. And uh, some things are intolerable that we shouldn't tolerate because they're just foolishness. We need to speak. We can't be slothful about things and, and put over it just the mayonnaise of tolerance on everything. No. Things are wrong, and they must be spoken up about. They must be declared. And so there's, the church has become so tolerant of everything. We can't even stand up and have a voice. Do you know 3% of the population is dictating our laws, our holidays, our parades, our activities? What's going on through government and finance and business is being directed in right now in the Supreme Court by 3% of the population when 80% of the population says they're believers. Something's not right. And the only thing I understand is that it's sloth. It's just not caring. It's not being active enough. So we can't be tolerant. In fact, Jesus put it another way. He says, it makes me gag. If you'll remember in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, he's talking to a church. He says, I love you. He says, I discipline those whom I love. And he says, but there's a problem here. He said, I have tasted of your works. Basically, he's evaluating their ministry. And he said, when I came to you, Jesus came to Laodicea, and he took a sip of the works, the cold cup that they were to present, that which is to be in their culture and in their society. He took the work of the church, and he went, oh. He said, this tastes terrible. He said, I'd rather have you hot, or I'd rather have you cold, but lukewarm makes me gag. This is sick. You know what lukewarmness is? Lukewarm is when the temperature of the drink becomes the same temperature of the climate around it. And so Laodicean church became the same climate. It became the same character as the culture it was supposed to be changing. That's the American church. We've been so slothful that we look, sound, and taste like 21st century America. We're not distinct. We don't look different. We don't sound different. You know, in order to keep something hot, you have to keep heat on it. You have to keep it active and its molecules moving. Same thing for keeping something cold. You have to preserve it in something cold. You have to keep it refreshing. But the minute you don't do anything to it any longer, it will become room temperature. 
He, he said to them, he said, you think that you are prosperous, that you're rich, that you need nothing. And he said, but you haven't realized that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I don't want to be so self-deceived. That's the problem with sloth. The problem with sloth is we think it's okay because we're maintaining status quo. But status quo in a fallen world is not a good thing. Ah, I'm comfortable. I did enough today. You know, I'm good with God. I said the sinner's prayer 30 years ago. I'm good. I'm in. It's such sloth. Every day we should be challenging our Christian walk to be on fire for God, to be moved and motivated by His Spirit. You should be moved as Jesus was when He would see the crowds moved with compassion daily, moved in a sense of prayer to intercede for this country, for this nation, for this city, for your own household. But sloth gets us to be lukewarm. We need diligence. That's the virtue of the Holy Spirit. He will press us. He will push us. He will prod us unto holiness, unto a heart like Jesus Christ, one that is passionate and on fire to do the Father's will, never doing its own will, but doing God's. It's persevering and determination to perform the kingdom work that God's assigned us to. We've all been given a commission Now therefore go, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth, below the earth. So therefore I send you, now go. That's our commission, all of us. To go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's our task. We can't be slothful in it. We can't be lazy with it. And so this sin is something we have to deal with every day. Would you agree with me? Would you recognize it in your own self? Right? Whether you're the workaholic, the A-type personality, whether you're slow, whether it takes you an hour to get off the couch, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what are you doing for the kingdom of God? We will have to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, you can be busy making things for yourself, wood, hay, and stubble, but the precious things of work towards the kingdom is gold, silver, and precious stones. Gold is is your faith. Silver is the word of God refined in your life. Precious stones are the acts of benevolence and goodness you're doing for people. That's what will accumulate in your life. And we can't be slothful with it, can we? So I want to challenge you today to be diligent, to do all that you need to do for the kingdom's sake. You know what? You got a little bit of time. We're going to slow down in the summer. We've got a little bit of time. There's times you're driving and instead of listening to something on the car radio, say a prayer. Jesus, put someone on my heart to to call, to make a phone call. There's there's people who are lonely. There's people you could think, put, put the church directory in your car. Or on your phone, just say, Jesus, give me a voice, give me a name, give me, give me someone to call. And you could be diligent to give them a call. You're wasting time going from here to somewhere else, driving for an hour. Use it for kingdom work. See what I'm saying? Just very practical things. Begin to pray. Begin to seek God on different issues. Those are eternal works that will never go away. Now, 
something else that we have to contend with. Oh, this is the mother of all sins, father of all sins. Pride. The issue of pride, the sin of all sins. It's a desire to be more important or more attractive than anyone else, failing to acknowledge the good that others have done, and an an excessive love for self. Isn't that something? The idea that you're more important than everybody else in the room. It's all about you. You are marvelous, fantastic. You look beautiful. We're all privileged you're here today. That is good. And, And to not acknowledge somebody else, but you have to put someone else down so that you're always above. And also to be the most important and most attractive. You know what? I've just described Satan himself. That's who he is. He's the I in everything. He wants to be the foremost. Uh, What Ezekiel 28 says about him is that he was Lucifer, the morning star, the very seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. In other words, you know that Jesus made all things in heaven and earth, visible, visible, invisible. He made all things. So Jesus himself made Lucifer, that covering cherub. And Jesus made him to perfection. He's the seal of perfection. In other words, uh, when he was made, the seal of approval of perfection, completeness, was on Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was covered in all the gorgeous stones. And it says that he was the one who stood before the throne. And he had the timbrel and the brass in him. And he as believed as the music director of heaven and ushered all praise through him under the throne of God. But something happened in his perfection and in his beauty. Instead of transferring all praise unto God, he took notice of himself. And there it was. Sin was birthed in his heart. And in Isaiah 14, he listed five eyes. I will ascend higher than the throne of God. I will be greater. I will this. I will that. I will be this. And in the very presence of God's glory, he became self-important. That's what he did with Adam and Eve, tempting them to draw out of them pride. The sense that we don't need to listen to God, we'll listen to ourselves and our own reasoning. They became self understanding instead of God understanding self-important instead of God important and that's what has cursed us all the issue of pride this is a real problem isn't it how many of you know that we've got to contend with pride now pride is involved with vanity conceit arrogance sounds like the American way vanity conceit and arrogance yeah and, and, and it's glorified in our culture. How many of you know that vanity is absolutely glorified? Right? Every magazine cover, every TV show, everything is all about vanity, vanity, vanity. You can get this nipped and that tucked and this scraped and that whatever you want. Colored, I guess. Conceit. It's all about us and arrogance. Americans are very arrogant. Why am I focusing on Americans? Well, most of you are American. Yvonne, thanks for coming. <laughs> But you can see it. You can see it in our culture. You can see it when you leave our culture. And and it's, it's something we have to contend with. 
So pride is a real issue. If you look at all the best sellers, it's really about have, uh, becoming the best you you can be. Can I tell you that you're already a mess? You don't need to be better at who you are. We need Jesus to make us more like him. That's what heals us. Amen? Now, you've got to be careful because there's another type of issue with pride, and, and that is uh, self-loathing. It's the tail of pride. Because what happens is this. Pride is being so concerned about yourself, but if you are in such a place where you have such hating and self-loathing, guess what is the object of your attention? You. It's just a perverse or twisted part of pride. And so self-consuming attention, whether negative or positive, is an issue. The Bible tells us this, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you see folks all about themselves, they're all that, they're this, they're that, you can just watch and just wait. You'll see the fall, the destruction's on its way. I'm telling you, pride is the basis for all conflicts. Pride's the basis for gossip, for bullying, for deception. It's the foundation of most all sin. And so what does God give us to counter it? Humility. A humble heart, a humble and meek spirit. It is said of Moses that he was the meekest man on earth. When you get close to God and you see God, you begin to realize you're not. The more you draw near, the saints that I know that have studied the Lord longer and witnessed the Lord and have devoted themselves to the Lord, they are less concerned of their ministry and themselves. True men of God have no pride but great humility. They act in meekness. They don't need applause. They don't need attention because all they want to do is honor God. The more you draw near to God, the humbler you will become. The more you draw away from Him, the more prideful you will become. Let's look at this. Pride sets God aside for self-recognition. I want to share you with you something that C.S. Lewis said. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Again, I want to go back to that issue of self-loathing. Humility is not saying, I'm a worm, I'm useless, I'm no good for anybody, God can't use me, I'm such a louse. No, you're spending all your time on you. That's not the issue. The issue is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. When you get closer to the glory of God, what do I have to compare to that? I want to talk about Him. I want to talk about His glory. Paul said this, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. There's an ought to in there. See, there's a level of understanding of who you are in Christ as a child of God. You're not scum anymore. You're not this or that. You, there is an ought to that you need to come to and recognize who you are. But don't go above it. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought to. But be humble. Think less of yourself and think more often of God. Huh. Dwight Moody said this, God sends no man away empty except those who are full of themselves. They have their reward. Let's 
compare and contrast humility and pride. Humility exalts God and others at the expense of themselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Pride exalts self at the expense of God and at the expense of others. Don't you find it interesting that with all the pride parades and the pride of this and the pride of that, one person that's not allowed and not wanted there? God. Because there's a contending for authority and importance. If man's not the most important in their world, we've got a problem. God is the one who is in authority above all things, and what he says is true. And so we have to come in humbly below that. Humility gains what it does not seek. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In due season, God will exalt you, not you. Don't you promote yourselves. Let God promote you, and in that, he will lift you up in due season. Pride always loses what it seeks. It always wants attention. But the problem with pride is it comes with disgrace. Nobody likes people who are boasting and proud. Humility draws God's favor. He gives favor to those who are humble. Pride draws God's opposition. God resists the proud. I don't want God to resist me. I don't want his spirit to resist what I'm doing. But if you will be humble, he will draw near to you and bless you. He will lift you up because he can trust you that you will be honorable to him and not to self. That's important. Anyone in leadership, anyone in teaching needs to learn this first. That you need to always be faithful to honor Christ in all things. He will then lift you up. He will then use you. This morning, I conclude that we have two major sins to contend with. Laziness or sloth and pride. They get us all the time. But thanks be to God that we have the abiding presence of His Holy Spirit that gives us a diligence and it gives us a humility to complete the work that God has called us to. It is a nameless, faceless group. It is the body of Christ. It's not this preacher or that preacher or this ministry or that ministry. In these days, it's going to be the body of Christ. It's going to be people who you won't know their name, but they did this and they did that. People will wonder, who is the person who helped me? Who is the person who cared for me? Who is the person that helped me in this situation? They may never know the name, but they'll know someone came and said, because I'm a Christian, I'm doing this. It's Christ's name that's exalted above all things. And in this hour, it's the body of Christ that will rise with humility and diligence to do what Father has asked us to do. Are you with me this morning? Amen, amen. Stand with me. Thank you, God. Let us pray and consecrate ourselves to this work. Let's commit ourselves to the work that God has called us to.